Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning and welcome to this 17th live episode of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Happy holidays to everyone as we enter into the the uh, middle of the holiday season. There are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. This show works to address problems with the integrity of those involved in the wrongful convictions and things that can be fixed and how. We will talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all. And that everyone needs to be aware of this widespread problem in our country. It doesn't discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. Anyone can become a victim uh, to the judicial system because of false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. Keep in mind, this is a live show today on December 18th. Feel free to call or email questions or topics that you would like to discuss or hear discussed on our show today or in the future. Today, our guest is a colleague and friend of mine, William Flesher. We are going to change it up a little bit today and talk about some other topics, including cold cases. Good morning, Bill, and great to have you on the show, and thank you for joining us today. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Thank uh, you. It's a wonderful day. It is. It's a a great day in December, and the sun is shining, at least on the East Coast. (laughs) It is. It is here. Right. Bill is a tenured investigator who is also a big advocate for the professionalism of the private investigations industry. Little bit, uh, I'm going to just go over a little bit about Bill's background. I'm sure I'll miss some things and I'll let him fill in the blanks. But he is the current director of Keystone Intelligence Network and the assistant director of the Academy for Scientific Investigative Training. He retired as a deputy special agent in charge of the Philadelphia Office of U.S. Customs Service. He was also the former, he is also a former special agent with the FBI and a supervisor with the Philadelphia Police Department. He has over 50 years of experience in law enforcement and investigations and has been a polygraph examiner since 1975. He is an internationally recognized expert in behavior behavior systems analysis. He is the author of the U.S. Customs Service Technical Manual on Behavioral System Analysis, and he is the recipient of the Customs Service Distinguished Service Medal and Award for his efforts in developing interviewing techniques for custom inspectors. He has lectured worldwide on interviewing and polygraph techniques and is the co-founder and first commissioner of the world-renowned VDOC Society, an organization of forensic experts which assist law enforcement and victims' families in solving unsolved homicides. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the VDOC Society um, later in the segment. Bill, is there anything that I missed that you'd like to highlight about your background? Yeah, I'm, I'm happily married. It'll be 46 years in a couple months uh, to the same woman. And I have four, four grown uh, children and six grandkids, which is the best part of the whole deal. <laughs> I'm sure. Congratulations. That That's Thank you. awesome. And it's great to hear uh, great family stories. Yep. For our listeners, did you know there are approximately 
2 million people in jail or prison in the United States. And the United States puts more people in prison than any other domestic country in the world. And there's no perfect formula that can be applied to how many are innocent, but it's believed to be anywhere from 2% to as much as 10%. So even on the low end, that equates to 40,000, or on the high end, it could be as much as 200,000 innocent men and women who have been wrongfully convicted. And that doesn't include those who have been wrongfully charged with a crime either. So those numbers are much higher. And, and for these reasons, the defense must conduct its own investigation instead of relying on the investigation conducted by the prosecutorial team. Uh, again, as I mentioned, we're going to change it up a little bit today and uh, talk about, to Bill about his career and cases he's worked on in the VDOC Society. Bill, how and when did you first get involved within the industry? Well, I, it was my, I was about 14 years old. My father said to me, he says, look, you know, I, was, I wasn't what you would call a sterling child. I was, <laughs> you know, mischievous, in trouble, things like that. And he said, look, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care if you dig ditches, but be the best ditch digger you can be. But if you have half a brain in your head, and that's what I got you figured for, you'll pick something for a living that you would do for a hobby. Who would be happier than a professional golfer? Who is happier <laughs> doing, doing what he would do for a hobby for a living, getting paid for it? And that's sort of, I would have been uh, happy to ride around with police cars. I like policemen. I like the idea of uh, police work, detective work. I was a Sherlock Holmes fan, even at that very young age. And uh, I just gravitated to, to uh, an industry and a field that I would do for a hobby. That's I've awesome. been doing it over 50 years. I'm very happy at it. And still going strong. I love it. Yeah. You have a, a long history in the law enforcement profession, obviously, and have directed yeah. many investigations and produced several training guides that I'm sure were put in place to prevent and deter wrongful arrests and convictions while preserving the integrity of the law enforcement officer. And, and they Absolutely. may not have been the, the, the sole purpose, but that no, obviously ties in. Look, nobody in law enforcement, wakes up in the morning and says, boy, I hope I get to shoot somebody today, or I hope I get to lock up an innocent person. That's uh, There may be outliers, but for the most uh, law enforcement people I worked with and knew, that was the last thing from their mind. They were looking for justice. They were looking to suppress crime as a police officer, to enforce the laws as, as federal agents, and we did not want... And nobody wanted on their conscience to have a, a convicted an innocent man. You know, and a lawyer once told me uh, the, the, the worst fear that they could have is to have an innocent client. Because if they lose and the innocent client goes to jail, that, they live with it. They prefer their clients guilty. This is what this, this man told me once. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, throughout the industry. I, I I would agree with you on that. So it, was there anything that prompted you or, or that a passion or anything that brought you into writing and authoring some of these training manuals? I mean, was it something that was assigned to you and they said, hey, Bill, this is your job, now do it? Or did you come forward and say, hey, I think we well, can do a better I, job? I was, I, I had a couple uh, attributes in my career. 
and I was I was you know a studious of learning my profession because I'm of the school. If you don't know your, your job, you don't know your business. You shouldn't get out of bed and do it. So learn as much as you can about what you're going to do for a living, whatever it be, from a yep. mechanic to a pilot to a detective. Learn your business. And one of the keys to, to my business is knowing people and human behavior. That's what we deal with, human behavior and people. And I remember even as a young police officer, I would pull up in a corner in, in the, the police car, and I'd sit there at a bus stop, and I'd watch the different people and how they would react to my presence. The older people, you'd see a sign of relief that the policeman's right there. Uh, some of the people that didn't like policemen, you'd, you'd see a, a sort of an attitude look. And some people that, that were afraid of, of the policeman being there, they wouldn't look at you. they start shifting on their feet. And I started to become uh, attuned to the body language and nonverbal behavior and, and of course, verbal uh, uh, indicators of, of deception and truthfulness. You know, I say to myself, not that he's lying. I say, this guy's telling me the truth. And I would, I began studying it. I became a polygraph examiner. I studied it more. I still studied it. I uh, wrote a, 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 a textbook on it with my, with my business partner, Nate Gordon. And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by human behavior. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I was a sociology major. I became a policeman and went to school when I was a policeman. And I took sociology. They didn't have criminology, per se, courses like they have now for the young people. But I took sociology because I thought that's, I'm dealing with people as a policeman. And uh, I want to know, I also took geology. This was in the 60s. If someone threw a stone at me, I want to know why he threw it and what kind of stone it was. You know, it's like I wanted all bases covered. I was a, I'm a very curious person, and, and, and in both ways. I'm curious in the, maybe the negative way. That guy's a, he's curious, and I'm curious as a person. I, the greatest invention to me is the Internet, that I have in my, on my hip a, a, a cell phone that I had the Library of Congress at my hand. <laughs> when I was a young kid, I was, I was still curious, I, and I'd sit next to my father and we'd be watching television, and somebody would use a big word I didn't understand. And I said, Dad, what's that mean? He'd reach over beside him on his, 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 his uh, table, side table. He'd take a, a, a Merriam-Webster dictionary and hand it to me and say, look it up. And I'd look the word up. So I, I was always curious. And the, the attributes of a good detective are, A, you got to like people. And I like people. I, I'm a, what I would call myself a people person. I, I enjoy people. I enjoy, I'm the guy at, at the go to the circus. I don't care about the trampoline and the, and the high flying trapeze. I'm, I'm interested in the guy that cleans out the lion cage. What's his job like? <laughs> you know, that's the type of person I am. I'm a, and uh, that is a tremendous asset of being a detective and a police officer. The second thing I, I think was, was an asset and I didn't know, uh, I have a little bit of ADHD. And I didn't know it till my son was diagnosed it in, in school that he had ADHD. When I was in school, I was that little jerk in Miss Casey's class. You, know, <laughs> you got him next year? That was that type of guy. But in police work, having that is good because you're always doing something different. Investigation, you're always doing something different. If you get bored with, 
with the uh, case, you pick up another one because you always have uh, a couple dozen cases you're working at the same time. Uh, you don't have to sit in the office at a desk. You get out and you wander around, go do your job, and same with police work. So they were two attributes, that, that actually the three attributes. I was very curious about everything. How did everything work? When I was about 10 years old, I took my, we lived in the same house as my grandparents. My grandfather had a, a watch, the old-time pocket watch. I took it apart and put it back together again. I had a couple extra pieces. My wife, had, my wife, my mother had to take it to the to the watchmaker to get fixed. But I was curious how does a watch work? I'm curious how the human body works, and that is an attribute that comes in handy when you're investigating any case. You, you scan a lot of facts. You start to to uh, you never get fixated on one fact if you have these attributes. Mm-hmm. You don't look at everybody as guilty. You eliminate the innocent, and you, you focus on the, the things, the elements you need to prove whatever uh, law or case factors you need to make a case. And doing that, you eliminate a lot of innocent people that are uh, under investigation but turn out are not, are, are not guilty. And, yes. and I, that's one of the reasons I like the polygraph. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy when I have a truthful client on the polygraph. You know, the, 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 uh, when I have a guilty person, uh, you know, I, uh, big deal. I pretty much figured out he did it beforehand. <laughs> when they're truthful, and I'm, uh, I'm elated. So that's, that's uh, my, my view of the, this whole uh, uh, law enforcement investigative aspect. You've got to like what you're doing for a living. Do it, you would do it for a hobby. It's, 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 a, it's a calling more than a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't take it as a job. Or it's a private detective. It's not a job. I'm, it's a good job. I've got to feed my family. It's a calling. And police work. You've got to like people. If you don't like people, they know in five or seven seconds whether they trust you or that you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And you can, never, you can never get anybody to cooperate with you if they don't think you like them. Right. So these, these are attributes I was, you know, I was born with. I was lucky. Those and it's as you're saying them. A lot of them describe how I feel. I am as well, and so I see that as being um, really important to be good at what you do, and you know, to be a people person, and to be nosy. You can call it what you nosy. want. Nosy and always learn. Nosy, nosy, absolutely. I'm a full believer in you know continuing Never stop education. I, le- I learned something talking today. I'll learn something. Mm-hmm. Some things are just just. Fascinating. I'm I'm a repository of thousands, tens of thousands of useless facts, but I enjoy it. <laughs> they come in handy every now and then. Oh yeah, like I'll come up with some esoteric comment about something that I heard years ago. I said, like, did you know that in in uh, in the Kalahari Bushmen that they have an innate ability that you could take a, a the Han people, you could take a, one blindfold them take him uh, 700 miles from his home, and he'll find his way home. Is that right? It, yeah, there's something in his head, probably in all of us, but it's vestigial. We don't use it, you know, oh. it's, it's, to be able to navigate. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you put this guy in, in, the, in the city to work in the city, in six months he loses that ability because he, he doesn't need it. So things, that's a useless fact. Interesting. I, I'm fascinated by it, things like that. Well, I have I a theory you. that 
that people want to go home to where they were born. You know, when I was in the government, everybody wanted to get, if you were a New Yorker, you wanted to get back to New York. If you were a Bostonian, you wanted to get back to Boston. If you were a Philadelphian, you wanted to get back to Philadelphia. And I believe it's where you're born, where you're spawned, the, the water, the air. It becomes part of your DNA, and you're not completely comfortable. It's like salmon going back to spawn and die in, in, uh, in the, 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 the streams where they were born. <laughs> it's something like that. It's thing, useless thoughts cross my mind all the time. <laughs> well, that's what makes you a good investigator because you're always thinking and you know always always have something to say and to to lean on and fall back on. Well, thank you, and it's, it's uh, I, I consider myself a pretty good detective. And uh, have I been wrong on times? Yeah. Have I been more right than wrong? Yeah. Am I proud of my accomplishments? Yeah. Am I am I upset by my failures? Yeah, but that's being human. That's the that's the the, the next factor. We're all human. Never forget it. Absolutely, and being able to to say, you know, we've we've all made mistakes, and you know, we'll continue to make mistakes, oh, and we're frustrated are. at our at our when we, you learn we from fail them. at learn. something. A, a smart guy learns from his mistakes. That's what a makes you a better man person. Learns from the other guy's mistakes. Yep. You know, I don't. I don't have to touch a wet paint sign bench <laughs> if I look and see another guy touching his hand comes up green. You know, I learned from. Let him make the mistake. Right. On that note, we're going to take a, a quick break, uh, commercial break, to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator, featuring stories and articles on current topics and issues written by professional investigators and leading experts in the profession. Real equipment reviews from top surveillance investigators with years of experience. PI Magazine offers investigative tips and practical advice for the newly licensed to the seasoned veteran investigator. Catch up on recommended sources, vendors, and professional services. Don't miss a single issue of PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You 
are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Welcome back. Bill, as, as we we're talking, um, it came to my mind, you had a long career. Are there any major cases that you'd like to talk about or share with our listeners, something that you know stands out during your distinguished career? Well, there, there are many of them. Many, many cases I worked or supervised. Uh, you know, we had the first large uh, uh, cocaine. It's been surpassed uh, since then. First large 10,000-pound cocaine seizure, which we were able to, a couple of my agents developed information. We were able to finally locate the shipment. It came into Philadelphia, uh, followed to a warehouse in North Philly, uh, in, in uh, Northeast Philly, travel, uh, after it was distributed into different uh, uh, truck, followed it, end up locking up six people up in Long Island City, New York. That was an interesting case, uh, and it, it was the, the talent of my agents that put that case. I have one that I, I, I sort of like. Uh, one day I was the deputy special agent in charge, and my boss was off you know, uh, temporary duty somewhere, so I was the acting as agent in charge also. And uh, two of my guys come in to me, and they say, we got a, uh, we got a situation on uh, at the Tioga Marine Terminal. I said, what's that? There's some induction furnaces that are on the pier ready to get loaded on the ship to going to Iraq. And I said, well, do they have a license? And he says, yeah, they have, they have a license uh, from Commerce. But we got a call this morning from State Department, Office of Munitions Control, that these are dual-purpose furnaces that can be used to make nuclear uh, weapons parts. I said, what do you want to do? Do you want to hold up the shipment? And, and, and I said, do we have authority for that? What's our authority? Well, the customs inspectors have a right to reinspect anything before it goes or comes. And I said, well, do it. So they, the ship was sailing at noon. This was early in the morning. And this went all the way up to the, the, the exporter's agent. The, uh, they, they told the exporter. He went crazy. He called his congressman. It went all the way up to the White House. And the decision was it needed two licenses, a commerce license and an Office of Munitions Control Export License, which they refused to give, and the ship had sailed. So it wasn't going to go anyway. All right. Uh, Weeks later, my, uh, one of my guys involved says, uh, comes in and says, we're getting an accommodation. I said, I said, congratulations. I said, for what? He says, for those, those furnaces that are going to Iraq. And the war had started by this time, in the, the mm-hmm. first war in Iraq. And I said, well, congratulations. You're getting one, too. I, I said, for what? It's a unit citation. Everybody involved in this is getting one. Oh, that's nice. So they had a ceremony. In the customs courthouse, they came up from Washington to there's a little courtroom in the customs house to give the awards to uh, to us and the inspectors. So they, it's like a little uh, medal you could wear on your your uniform if you wore a uniform. I didn't wear a uniform, and uh, 
It was a commendation, and it was very nice. So my counterpart, it was a friend of mine who was the head of all the customs inspectors. I was in investigations, an agent. Comes to me, says, congratulations. I said, I said, well, thank you. He said, what did you do to deserve this? <laughs> and I said, I didn't interfere. <laughs> and that's been my philosophy. When you have good people working for you, and you have the authority and law on your side, listen to them. Let them, you know, what they tell you. Don't, don't think you're the, uh, the end all and, and be all of the decision. You, and you're going to make it by your own whim. Listen to your people. And I learned that in the Army. I worked for a, a company commander, and I was just a private, uh, you know, and his, his philosophy, his name was William Catucci, went on to be vice president of AT&T, and uh, he uh, just an amazing man. And he used to listen to all the people that worked for him, whether it was the first sergeant, whether it was just the lowly PFCs, as I was, or it was the corporals, whatever. He would ask our opinion of things. And he took a company that I was in that was the worst company in the battalion, and he made it the best in the battalion by his philosophy of management. And in fact, there's a book, uh, Noble Enterprises, written about him and how he's rescued some of these big companies and everything. But that was the philosophy I was taught. When I became a manager, supervisor, I, I incorporate all the great managers and supervisors I worked for their, their methods and techniques. And I buried deep six all the jerks I worked for. Whatever they did, I would never do. And that was, that was my philosophy for my whole career. It is today. You know, listen to people. Listen to uh, what they're telling you. Absolutely. You know, if you, if you look, well, if you look at the, uh, the great uh, innovations in the world, it all came when the, the, the elites started listening to the, their workers and the age of invention and industry, and they listened to the guy in the field. Maybe it would be a better idea if we did it this way. And when, when the, the so-called powers of beast started listening to, the, to the, the, uh, the peons, so to speak, uh, advancements in technology and civilization uh, grew exponentially. And the same thing in investigations. It's, it's teamwork. There's no one person that does it by himself in anything in life. It's, mm-hmm. it's teamwork. Absolutely, and that's the key. Surround yourself with a good team. Yep. No doubt. So <clears throat> a lot has changed over the years. Um, I, I do a lot of criminal defense work, and, and I say on every episode – I am pro law enforcement, and I you know, usually talk about you know I'm I'm a supporter of law enforcement. I have good friends in law enforcement, retired, and I talk about them and so forth. But th- there is unfortunately there there is corruption, and yeah, with, it's, it's, with it's in any profession, not absolutely. just law enforcement. Whether it's the clergy, pick your religion, your 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 religion, not one religion. I learned a long time ago: no group of people. Has the has the monopoly on on ethics or corruption or mm-hmm. corrupt souls. Everybody, yep. most people are good. I found that in my life. Most people are good. What do they want to do? They want to live their lives. They want to have be productive, have a job, have some kind of enterprise they're involved in. They want to get married. They want to raise a family. They and they want to have grandchildren. They can bounce on their knees, and they want to die 
in bed at an old age, surrounded by their loved ones, <laughs> most people. Then you right. got these evil bastards that, that uh, is, is something generically wrong with them, uh, I think. Uh, it's congenital. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of theories, like the, the uh, society has to have people with what they call the warrior gene. You know, somebody that's fearless and go out and protect the tribe, so to speak. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, here's, here's why this has nothing to do with law enforcement. Do you know there's a grandfather and a, and a grandmother gene in our DNA? Mm-mm. Not that aware. We were hunters and gatherers. I've seen some of the, the, the roughest, toughest, meanest, uh, corrupt SOB gangsters. When they're around a little child, they melt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not by accident. Sure. When we evolved, we were, we were hunters and gatherers, little tribes and, and, uh, we evolved. What did the men do? They went out and hunt, hunted. Maybe they, they uh, shot and wounded an animal. They had to track it a few days and, and, and then bring it back to the tribe. And the women, the young women, their job was what? To have children, to procreate, to, to have more, more members of the tribe. Of course, there was high birth, uh, death rates, things like that. And the grandmother's job was to help the, the young women raise their children and have more children. The grandfather's job... His job was to protect the village, to educate the young children that were there on the culture of the tribe. And after millennia, this got ingrained in us. And I walk down the street, I'll see a guy walking with some of his his grandchildren, and I look at him, I said, pop up, the greatest job in the world. And they go, yeah, and a big smile on their face. Well, that's not by accident. That's that's (laughs) because genetically. And they're bad people in us genetically. They, they, they're, they're sociopaths. They, 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 uh, uh, they'll always uh, care. They can't empathize with people. They don't care about people. It's immediate gratification. And they're the mm-hmm. criminals that we in law enforcement and you in private investigation have to protect society against. Right. You know, you talk about great cases, I, and I don't want to go into details. I, I had a, one guy who was doing life for murder. was innocent. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, a habeas case. And a friend of mine who uh, uh, referred this uh, investigator with me, this, uh, this uh, uh, attorney who was taking the, this, this habeas case, and I worked on the case, and I traveled to various places on the case, and the guy was fin- final, and he was innocent. was finally, he, he was innocent in quotes. You know, he, was a, he was involved in drugs, but he was innocent of murder. And he was finally released. And uh, that was very satisfying. I've had cases where I polygraphed people, and they were, they were innocent. They were falsely accused. That's very satisfying. I've had cases where they passed a test, and they still went to jail uh, for whatever reason, and I knew they were innocent. And it hurt me that I knew they were innocent in jail. And some of them, I don't want to go into them, some of them, you, well, you have been written about. You could find them, but I don't want to go into to things like that. So, sure, no, I... Yeah, a, a, a person, like we work, uh, when I first came out, I thought it would be difficult working uh, defense-type matters. But I had so many uh, of my attorneys were former prosecutors. And I realized that everybody is entitled to a defense. And all we do is we look for the facts. 
I've had <laughs> cases where people didn't want to talk to me. And I'd say, listen, in defense work, I said, all I want is the truth. Good, bad, or different. If you tell me something that hurts, hurts the client, fine. I just want the truth. I don't know. I said, let me put it to you another way. Suppose you or someone close to you, a family member, was arrested. Wouldn't you want his defense attorneys have the right to, to talk to witnesses and, and try to find the truth? Wouldn't you want that for yourself? Yeah. So why, why would you deny it to somebody else? And they would talk to me 95% of the time. And uh, you know, that, that, that's satisfying to get someone to talk to you. And if, the, and, and if the evidence turned out bad for the client, so be it. I just report that to the attorney. We just report facts. And uh, so that, that's the, the, the mindset you have to have if you're an investigator. You can be a champion for your client, but you never lose your integrity to, to the truth and your, your personal integrity. That's, that's worth more than anything. You know, I tell people, we teach polygraph, and I said, you, you never sell your opinion. The first time you ever sell your opinion, you'll be, nobody will touch you but vermin, mm. and you never want that. It is what it is. And yep, I, 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 I say that all the time, and, and I agree. And, you know, we're, we investigate the facts, and if the facts tell you one thing, they tell you one thing. If they tell you another, they tell you another, but... We're not trying to find. We're not trying to get a guilty person off of of um, sentencing or or prison. We're trying we to get an innocent facts. person. The facts, right? And let the the facts set them free. Absolutely. Yeah. So y- you had mentioned yeah. how gratifying and and satisfying it is when you do get somebody out of out of jail, out of prison. Yeah. Um, when they're wrongfully I convicted, did. just I like a few times, and I'm I'm, and, I'm proud of it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it's just as satisfying when you put the bad guy away, whether it's for Absolutely. drugs, rape, murder, you know, whatever. I mean, it's there's Absolutely. a satis- satisfaction or um, just just um, it's rewarding that you did good for the people. Right. Whether it's locking yes. somebody up or getting them out. Well, we say in VDOC, our client is the truth. That's mm-hmm. our client. Our motto is Veritas Veritatum. Truth begets truth. And that's what we seek in these cases we look at is what happened, the facts. Let's, let's try to, you know, solve this case. And, I, you know, even in my general works, the best days I have is when I go home and I, I say to uh, my wife, boy, I really helped somebody today. I feel good. That's a good day for me. It's a great feeling. Absolutely. And, and yeah. you, you, you just brought up and it's, this was my next question for you is, um, Bill, you are the founder and commissioner of the VDOC Society. Uh, I have mentioned the VDOC Society several times on, on some of our past shows. Can you educate our listeners about the VDOC Society and how and why you co-founded it? And, you know, it's, it's about, I'm going to let you talk okay. about this. It's cold cases, but it's, it's again, very satisfying when you're able to, to close something that's been open for so long. In February... It'll be be 30 years this February. So go back 30 years. One day, a friend of mine, Frank Bender. Frank Bender is a world-renowned 
Well, he was. He passed away, sadly. A world-renowned forensic sculptor. What was that? He was a, a man who could take a skull that found just the skull and put uh, the face on the skull, what it would look like uh, in life. He did the same thing with age progression. He would, he would, uh, they'd have fugitives. He worked with the marshal service. They had old pictures, and he would make that person what he looked like today. And one of his most famous cases, for example, was the John List case. And he, John List killed his whole family and was like a fugitive for 16, 18 years, something like that. And America's Most Wanted asked him to create a bus, what he'd look like today. And working with Richard Walter, who was a forensic uh, psychologist, uh, they came up with a profile and a, a, a bus that looked like he would presently. And they caught the guy based on that, that show, America's Most Wanted. So I recognized it and the pattern. Well, I didn't know Richard Walter, but one day, it was a federal Monday, I think it was President's Day, uh, in 89, uh, I think it was 89 or 90, maybe, uh, we, uh, he said, Bill, I'd like you to meet uh, this Richard Walter. He's working on this John List case with me, America's Most Wanted. He's going to be in town. I think you guys have hit it off Let's go have lunch. So we went and had lunch at a restaurant. We started talking about cases, cases that they were working on, cases they had worked on, cases I had worked on. Now, I had a couple cases. Uh, Frank had a couple cases, fugitives, that I worked with when I was in the FBI. I worked uh, a homicide case on one guy. I, I uh, helped arrest another guy who was a mobster out of New York. And, and we, we would talk about these cases when he was making the bust or the aging uh, uh, bust on these people, and you know we were good friends for several years. But I didn't know Richard Walter, so we meet for lunch, and we're talking these cases. And finally, it's getting dark out. Now this was a federal Monday. It was where the, where, uh, the guys that work for the taxpayers are off, and the taxpayers are working. <laughs> and I always appreciated it. And I said, boy, this is really intellectually stimulating. I said, why don't we do this on a regular basis? Cases, get a group together, meet once a month, and talk about old unsolved cases, adding new uh, concepts of forensic profiling, uh, DNA, new types of uh, fingerprinting techniques, things like that. You know, lifting prints. You know, they, 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 you know, we're in the age from the we went from the ninhydrate spray for uh, bringing out latent prints on documents to now superglue. Things are changing. Yeah, let's let's see if we can solve some of these cases. And they said, oh, that's a great idea. That'd be, I say, you guys, I looked at them, I said, you guys think this is another, let's do lunch someday. I'm going to get this going. <laughs> so I went and I wrote letters to 26 people I knew, uh, prosecutors, uh, ADAs, uh, agents, uh, fingerprint experts, polygraph experts, a whole uh, uh, medical examiners. And I set up a meeting down at the officers club in the Navy Yard when it was still the Navy Yard before they closed it. And uh, we all met, and I told them I'd like to name this group after the uh, famous French detective, uh, Eugène-Francois Vidoc, who lived 1775 to, like, 1857. And he he was quite a character, and I could go on and talk about him much. But basically, he was a convict who was famous for escaping 
and he was the Willie Sutton of the day. Willie Sutton was the bank robber and a great escape artist here in, in the States, and he was the Willie Sutton of the day, and, and I, I told everybody, educated him who he was, and what I liked about him, he, w- he was a redeemed soul. Mm-hmm. He went from being a convict to a policeman, and eventually formulated established the, the Sarete, the first investigative service of the police, the uh, Paris police, the gendarmerie. In those days, they, they, just, they all wore uniforms, except uh, the people that were investigating uh, actors against the state, subversives, they walked around plain clothes. And uh, they never had a detective division, per se. And he founded it, and it's a, it's a long story how he got to that point. But he brought in new techniques. He was the first guy to use ballistics. He was the first guy to invent uh, uh, counterfeit-proof paper for banknotes. He was uh, uh, a plaster of Paris. You know, you hear about that where you take molds of of, uh, of footprints, things of that nature. It was him. And the first centralized record-keeping service. And I just liked it. I had read about him actually when I was in the FBI Academy, and they had a book in their library called The Memoirs of VDOC, and I thought he'd be a great, a great person to honor, you know, homage to, to him and what he's done. He's considered the first modern detective. So right. that's what we did. We named the group after him, and we, we, we set up our constitution by laws, and, and uh, we decided to keep only 82 members, because one of the, uh, the people attending said, well, he was 80, he, he lived 82 years, let's make it 82 members. And uh, there were, there were uh, mainly it was an eating club, and we got started. Mm-hmm. But one day, our chairman of the board, Frank Friel, may he rest in peace, former homicide commander in Philadelphia, and former uh, uh, director of public safety in Ben Salem, which is a... a, a contiguous suburb of Philadelphia, uh, went to speak in front of parents and motor children in Texas. Somebody uh, recommended somebody in VDOC Society go down there. He went to speak on our behalf. He came back and he said, Bill, he said, there must have been 2,000 people in that auditorium. And after I spoke, they they came up to me, and uh, if one had it, 100 people had a, a, a story one Saturday and the next. We ought to seriously rethink about what we're, what were our focuses because we were looking at cases like the Cleveland Torso murder, um, who killed uh, uh, Murray Larry Lewis, it was a suicide or murder at the Natchez Trace, uh, things like that, things that just for exercise. Then we started focusing on real cold cases, and that's where we've been for thirty years. This coming to February. Wow, that's it's an amazing story, and uh, it's 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 an honor to be a part of it. I enjoy every meeting that I attend, and well, it's, thank you, Jeff. And uh, that's that's a perfect example of who we are. It's not one person; it's mm-hmm. a group of uh, collective intelligence. You know, they call it they they they're calling it uh, mind sourcing or crowdsourcing now or something of that. <laughs> right. Back then, yep. they I don't know what they called it, but it was a, a collection of great minds. We go we go in there and we don't we don't look for publicity. If we, if we get it, good. If we don't, you know, virtue is its own reward. 
Sometimes we get some nice publicity. There's a book written. But we go there to help law enforcement. You look at different perspectives. And, and the, 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 the dynamic of solving a cold case, in my opinion, is you've got to have on board the victim's family, the uh, police, the prosecutor, and the media. You've got to have all those factors in the mix. And what we do is we bring these, these detectives in every month from different departments or agencies to come and, and give us a cold case. And we listen, and we never say, well, why didn't you do this? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Well, we're not there for that. We're there to act as a catalyst to stimulate their minds. You know, that's, that's a good supervisor, a good manager. When he has his people in front of him, he'll ask them questions, not to direct them, this is the way I want it done, but to make them think of, of the right solution. I had an old trick. You know, people would come in. Well, I was a group supervisor and manager, too. They would, they would come in with this grandiose project, something I saw right away, which wouldn't work, but it would take a lot of time, money, and effort and burn up manpower. And I'd listen. I said, that's, that's okay. Do me a fa- favor. Go put it on paper. I never hear from them again about it. Because once they sat down and tried to put it on paper, they'd realize how uh, you know uh, impractical it is. So, right. so it's the uh, same thing we we do. We we try to stimulate uh, the minds of the uh, of the presenters, and we have uh, all kinds of we have profilers, we have MEs, we have every you know you're there. You go to meetings, and we offer suggestions. And that's 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 the dynamic. That helps us, uh, you know, stay around for 30 years. And not only stay around, but just really it's, it's, it's world renowned. I mean, people it's known about and agencies around the, around the, especially the United States, obviously. Well, well, thank you. you. I'm looking at my wall here. I guess your audience knows I'm not sitting there on the phone. (laughs) I'm looking at the wall of the, the cover of Paris match magazine. And it, it's called Detectives, and it's a picture of myself and Nate Gordon, and it says Detectives de la dernière chance. You know, Detectives wow. of the last chance. You know, that's awesome. That was, that was interesting. So we are known around the world, and I'm proud of that. And, uh, and you, sh- you you should be. Can, can you can you explain to the listeners how a police department or, or not police? I mean, I know we've had. We've had the FBI there before, and we've had district yeah. attorneys or prosecutors present. Yeah. Um, can you explain how a case is selected or an agency is selected? All right, uh, we 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 get of course we have we've been around. We're we're listed on the Department of Just Justice uh, uh, list of uh, resource uh, cold case resources for police departments. So they put out. You know, the, the U.S. Department of Justice puts out publications, and then one of them has, says the resources for cold case investigators. And we're listed as a pro bono reason. And, and I want to add, everything we do is pro bono. We don't charge anybody. Right. So we also put on, uh, around the nation, cold case seminars, also pro bono. And we get a lot of cases from them. A lot of cases are generated when the family finds out about us, and they go and they they go to the police department. The police department, well, they under the theory of no stone unturned, 
decides to present the case. Sometimes the, it's the squeaky wheel. They want to quiet. Mm. You know, the show yep. they did everything. So cases come to us, and we have have a we have a, a, a sort of a template on the cases that will accept. We'll only accept the case that's it's, uh, older than two years. We'll only accept the case where the the murder uh, wasn't of somebody who who sort of uh, uh, caused his own demise by being a mobster or dealing in drugs or falling out of thieves. You know, it has to be somebody who's uh, relatively innocent. Uh, uh, and uh, we have to have the police on board. Because if you don't have the police on board, you don't have the evidence to look at. Right. So that's pretty much our, our, our requirements. And we pay for the transportation to Philadelphia and, and the per diem and the hotel uh, for, for two presenters from a department. Many can come as they want, but we, we, we uh, uh, pay for uh, uh, just two. And we, we, we survive on, you know, like, like Tennessee Williams, uh, was it a glass, uh, uh, Blanche Dubois, on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> You know, our dues, uh, sometimes we get uh, uh, donations, uh, sometimes they're substantial. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we've had our, uh, we had a book, we had royalties that, that paid for the, you know, goes in our, our treasury, pays for these things. We've had options on, from television and movies, they never developed anything, but they pay option money that goes into the kitty, and uh and that's how we survive. Well, it's it's definitely a great organization that that you co-founded, and um, you had mentioned the book. The um, there is a best-selling there book out New York called Times The Murder Bestseller. It's a while yep. back called The Murder Room by, by Michael, Michael Capuzzo. Capuzzo. And I love the book. I'd encourage our readers to check it out. It's also available on audiobooks as well. So you can listen to it as you're driving. I, th- I think it's it's a great book and really there's a lot about that. I history. haven't done that. I just read it. Uh, <laughs> I listened to it. It was it was so it was really neat, you know, because as an investigator, you spend a lot a lot of windshield time. I call it, you know, yeah. driving around trying to find people and whatnot. So um, yeah. Yeah. absolutely one one of the best. Um, not one of it was the the best book that I've ever listened to. Um, I really enjoyed reading it or listening to it. Oh, well, thank you. I, I got to listen to it. <laughs> you, I'm sure you'd enjoy it. Yeah, I so, hope so. We only have a few minutes. I just, I just want to say along the lines of cold cases, I was just recently engaged to assist in the investigation of a missing woman from Malvern who's been missing since April of 2017. So I just okay. want to share this with our listeners in case anyone has any knowledge. But Anna went missing under mysterious circumstances from the family's newly built home in Malvern sometime between March 28th and April 11th of 2017. Her blue Audi was found abandoned a few miles away some days later. Her husband reported her missing. He initially talked to police but now refuses to cooperate and uh, refuses to talk to reporters or friends. Um, And friends have organized searches and they created a Find Anna Facebook page. Police believe she's dead the victim of a homicide, and now call our husband a person of interest. If any of our listeners has any information regarding this investigation of of Anna from Malvern, um, please call me at 610-696-7799 
or email at jstein at elpspda.com. Um, these are, you know, near and dear to, to many people. Her, her parents live in Poland. Her mom just came, uh, last week to the United States to, um, talk to the police and get an update. And, um, and she was on the news, you know, pleading for, for the, any information about her daughter. So, um, these are some of the things that, that, um, really are near and dear to, I know Bill and I to, you know, what we, what we do. So, I'd appreciate if any listeners has any information to let us know. Um, Bill, we only have this this past hour went so quick. We only have about two minutes left, and okay. I, I know you're you're still um, involved in 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 the uh, the investigative world and obviously polygraphing and so forth. What is the best way for potential clients to reach you? Well, we're, our firm is called Keystone Intelligence Network, and we're located in the Rittenhouse area of Philadelphia, 1704 Locust Street, and our main number is 215-545-1111, and uh, we're, we're always uh, willing to listen to somebody free, see if we can help you. If we can't help you, I'll tell you, if I can help you and you know, with just a few advice, I let clients, I, I let people call up and I say, look, you don't need a private detective for this. You can do this, this, and this, and this. And I direct them what to do. And then other people will call up and I'll say, look, anybody that that would take this case, uh, they're, they're taking your money for nothing. It can't be solved this way. It's something of a police matter. Uh, go talk to the police and, and be the squeaking wheel. They'll help you. Don't pay a private investigator because if anybody take your money, uh, it's not doing right by you. So we don't take any any cases that we can't help somebody. If we can help somebody with a little direction, we do it pro bono. And uh, that's how we do business. And we've been in the same location here since I retired from the government, uh, January 2nd, 1996, same office. Right, wow. right downtown. The best part of the best part of the city, in my view, it's uh, <laughs> right near Rittenhouse Square. I can go get a a a sandwich from De Bruno, sit in the park in the summer. That's great. <laughs> Eat my sandwich, Bill. It was it was a pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate it. And to our listeners, you're you got the opportunity to listen to somebody who, for the past thirty years, has been volunteering his time to build. Uh, and and to grow the VDOC Society, which, as you heard, um, is on the Department United States Department of Justice resources for cold case um, investigations. That's impressive, uh, folks. It really is. I mean, it, the ethics and values that uh, Bill brings to the VDOC Society and and his investigative firm and his partners is um, one of the best in in the business. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen as we continue to increase our listener base. We appreciate your positive reviews and we hope you all have a happy holiday season. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week.